bike parks in general, when done right, regardless of what they look like, and it can mean a lot of things, right? Including hiking trails all the way up to the coolest, biggest jumps, it, it, the amalgamation of all this stuff. It is the least expensive investment a community can make in itself with the highest rate of return in quality of life, as well as for tourism. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. If you are new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Episode 92 features Dave Schultz, otherwise known as Dave Coolio, from Gort Gravity in Missouri. Dave has quietly been a key person behind the scenes, connecting the people and the places that are putting Missouri on the map in terms of bike parks and trail systems. Dave does an excellent job explaining some key points when communicating with elected officials and government staff about the value that mountain biking and trails can bring to a community. I'd like to take a moment to thank all the listeners and guests who have taken the time to share the Trail Effect episodes on their social media accounts, such as Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn along with taking Trail Effect in their posts. This has helped more listeners find the Trail Effect podcast. Please keep up all the sharing, commenting, and tagging of Trail Effect. I'd also like to thank the listeners who have signed up to be supporters of Trail Effect through Patreon. These actions mean a lot to me. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. Now on to the Trail Effect with Dave Coolio. Here we are today on Trail Effect. I have Dave Schultz of Gort Gravity. And we're going to talk to Dave about all sorts of stuff that's happening in Missouri. Because I think Missouri, if you're like a lot of people, is kind of flying under the radar with the exception of a couple notable communities. And there's a lot going on. And I think especially for those that don't live in the middle portion of the country, they're going to be surprised at what Dave and his crew of people have going on in Missouri. I think a lot of us have heard of Shepherd Mountain because of their dive into the Big Mountain Enduro series and the fact that there's a bike park in Missouri, but there's actually a lot, lot more than that. And so here we are today with Dave. And how's it going today, Dave? Hey, it's great. Thanks for having me on. Uh, feel uh, honored to. I've heard a lot of great people on your podcast. So this is cool that I get to somehow fit in. So thank you for having me. Well, I, I appreciate you taking time out of your day. And I think uh, the listeners will understand once we dive into what you have going on as to what kind of knowledge you can bring to all the listeners with this, because you have a lot going on and it's it's a pretty amazing story. So well, let's kind of get into yeah. your uh, yeah, your backstory as far as, you know, kind of how you found the bike and what brought you to trails. Sure. Um, I was lucky. Uh, I got taken under the wing by a uh, bike shop owner. 20, almost 28 years ago now. Um, he's still in business, uh, ball and cycles. Mark gave me my first job sweeping floors and it kind of blossomed from there. I ended up being a manager eventually there, et cetera, et cetera. And then I left and went into, I worked in an ambulance, went into various forms of government service, uh, civilian, military, et cetera, and built a career up. And now I'm on the other side of that career, uh, ended up with a host of injuries that sort of stopped things. And I found myself with a time opportunity 
and a little bit lost, uh, honestly, for a minute. And I was like, man, I had this training and experience. And then I saw all these great parks. I got to travel and do all this stuff and see all these people doing great things. And of course, obviously the Arkansas stuff. I was like, why don't we have this? Like, why isn't this a thing here? And it just sort of developed from there. And that's where it came from. Let's go into Gork Gravity, because Gork Gravity is actually pretty new. And why that was developed? Uh, So uh, as (laughs) it's funny, you bring this up exactly that way. But so Lone Wolf in uh, one of your most previous podcasts had a a statement at the beginning that he talked about uh, his local regional stuff. Uh, As a joke, my buddy Steve and I were talking about it. I was going to read it word for word, but just put our entity's name in place of the names he said to see if he'd notice and pick up on it. But anyways. Uh, it was so, it was so, it resonated so well. Basically, we've had a, a group of people, 22 plus years, actually one of the founders, BMX guy. So it's kind of unusual, like it, it was more, but more into cross-country, multi-use biking. That, that's Gork, Gateway Off-Road Cyclists. It's just volunteers. They're really well organized. They have long relationships with with parks people, with land managers, and they're trusted. And And so they have about 100 miles of trail across like 30-something parks in our region, they build them, they maintain them, they repair them. And then each one's a little different because like you might have a parent entity of state land versus federal versus local, et cetera, et cetera. But we were missing this new element. And instead of, we thought about creating something separate and we're like, we need to unite the community. We need everybody to feel in the second community, like they're under an umbrella. And so I went to them because they're friends and Steve and I together, Steve Friedman, uh, who introduced me to you, we went to them together and we're like, hey, can we make an arm of this nonprofit standing on your shoulders and then add this element into it? And and what this element was, was, you know, defined over time. But basically that's where Gork Gravity came from. We added the word gravity for obvious reasons, yet staying with Gork so that it unites everybody under that that same piece. And we're going to back up because this may, this will make sense to the listeners once, once we back up, but let's, let's dive back sure. into once you created Gort Gravity yeah, and how you married that with a lot of the knowledge you picked up through previous careers. Sure. Basically one of the most important pieces of it, I uh, originally enlisted in the military midway through my career, I became an officer and I went into the intelligence field. And they send you to Intel school and all this stuff. And it basically, it's analysis, it's process, right? And I ended up leading a team on a brigade staff and figured out this process we were using, which was using data, we predict the future. We do educated guessing based on available information. Well, that applies to anything. And I figured out it's exactly useful in this world. And because my job was presenting to officials of all different levels and caliber and purpose from foreign officials to local, to state, federal, what have you, I became very comfortable in that role. And so using that process, putting it into bikes, putting it into bike parks in particular, analysis of cities and parks, I used it to develop this process and then took it and stood in front of community leaders. So backing up a little bit, historically, all of these entities that I'm familiar with, including our own, uh, they work with the lowest level person Right. So you have to, let's just say you want to create a trail. You have to find the person who manages that site to establish trust and a relationship with them and then tell them, Hey, we want to build this trail. We have this idea. We like it. We want to build a trail for ourselves. 
uh, for the community. We would do whatever and, and work our way up. And then you have to help them convince the next person, convince the next, convince the team. Well, I skip all that. I figured out this is the best part of it. I have a rule from the point of talking to the point of either contracts or breaking ground, whichever comes first or simultaneously, we're looking at three to six months from the point of idea to the point of where we have something going on. And versus these park processes take between three and seven years average. I don't have time for that. I'm not gonna be around, but like, we gotta, we gotta speed this up, right? We need, we need to help communities now. And so by adapting this process, I, I look at cities and I say, hey, uh, what are your economics? What is your background? What is population densities, highway locations? All this stuff factors in, we build this picture and we say, hey, look, if you take this based on your topography, and you put X in it, this is the result you'll get. And so who do you tell that to? Well, you tell it to the lowest park manager, they still have to understand it and process it. I skip and go straight into uh, aldermen, uh, city officials, mayors. Um, those are my regular points of contact. We basically go to the highest person, sometimes an executive, whatever the title and structure is in that government, we go to the highest people in the land for that given space, whether it's a city, a county, or even state, what have you. And that's the biggest difference, the most important thing that we adapted from my background to this process to speeding up establishment of these parks. That's a pretty good hack. And that's a hack that I think a lot of people, A, would love to learn and get behind. But I've, I've seen it in a, I'm not going to say as accelerated as that, but I've seen it in an accelerated fashion where, you know, you go from a concept to actual trails being, the project being done in, in a two-year window. Which is a pretty quick sure. window. That's a very quick window, truthfully. And, and yeah, based on my experience with these other parks and these other processes, the only other thing that I've seen that accelerates things as fast as we're doing is lots of money. And we operate with a $0 budget, honestly. Like we have some operating income and they, the, the group did one project that they raised money for directly. But other than that, all of this process is I help these communities understand how to spend their money on themselves. So, so this is, I guess, a key part of that that allows me to speak to them. I study the alderman boards, the council member boards. They're up there for the same reasons that in, a, in a roundabout way that we want to do this, right? They want to better their communities, figure out who those people are and figure out what their projects are. Like they have something. Each one of them has a dream for that legacy project, right? And then show them how this is that legacy project. Like, for example, a, a, a skate park, right? We had a, a people wanted a skate park, but they just weren't versed that there's an updated element of that, right? There's a new version of that thing where it's skate park meets pump track meets et cetera, et cetera. You know, it, it fits together. Well, find that person, get them on your side, and you basically do the politicking behind the scenes so that you're not going in there and they're not seeing you for the first time and you're not going in there blind wondering what you're saying. You already know what they're going to say. And you know that if you get enough of them, you're not worried about getting the yes in the room. You got the yes outside at lunch and showing them the benefit, right? So one of my sayings is, is that uh, bike parks in general, when done right, regardless of what they look like, and it can mean a lot of things, right? Including hiking trails all the way up to the coolest, biggest jumps, it, it, the amalgamation of all this stuff. It is the least expensive investment a community can make in itself with the highest rate of return in quality of life, as well as for tourism. So in my eyes and what I say is biking, it, especially in these small town America, these towns that lost, like, as you mentioned, you know, Shepherd, Ironton, they lost their industries. Cycling becomes the industry 
And then everybody can build their dreams off of that, whether that's restaurants, expansions, other businesses, campgrounds. It spurs all this stuff, depending on the scale, depending on the topography. But yeah, that's that's kind of this whole thing just sort of interconnects. And when you fit the pieces together, it can be really successful, honestly. You know, it, you just got to be able to kind of perceive it, predict the future a little bit. So let's dive into the first project you guys did. And so we can kind of sure. piece by piece, you know, pick apart all the different topics that you just brought up from the economic impact to, you know, the, the impact of tourism, the impact of health and wellness, revitalizing communities, making your community more livable, because that's actually, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what we're doing. And the biggest, the biggest takeaway yep. there are, they're all big takeaways, but a big one is the fact that, cause everybody operates on a budget and everybody's budget is smaller than they want. And so to really open people's eyes and like, Hey, like this is really low cost yet high return investment. So let's go into your first project. Cause I was, I know when we emailed, I had thought it was shepherd mountain, but you had corrected me. And that was probably your second project, right? Ironton fell almost parallel second, third. It was, it was really so it be it was started third, but it actually finished second based on build time. So because some of these projects were longer build, some are shorter build. Some some now are still building. They're still in phase whatever, phase three, phase four. You know, um, so we plan in the future. But backing up, yeah, the first project was actually Eureka Mountain Bike Park, and you also asked me in the email one of my most famous maybe errors, mistakes, what have you, it happens to correlate to be one of the same. And it's an interesting thing. It's a positive mistake for whatever it's worth. So I have a whole series of checkbox rules that I go by. And one of them is I look for unutilized land. So I here's one of my rules. I don't take away trail ever. I don't go into a place that is, that's got multi-use, that has horses, that has biking with walking, with running, or a type of trail like cross country and then you turn it into a flow line or any of those things. No, we build complementary. We build in parallel. So if there's a system in place, we build next to it. We build with it. We enhance. Now, if there's an environmental issue with the trail, yeah, we can go in and fix it and correct things. Or if the community as a whole wants a complete change, that's okay too. But I'm not going to go in there and say, no, I want to take your trail from this user group and turn it into this. I, I just won't do that. And so I look for spaces that maybe aren't parked, but yet city owned land, you know, there's tax default land. There's land that's environmentally challenged. There's land that uh, topography doesn't allow for anything else to occur. And actually, that obscure topography is great for cycling and hiking and everything else. And so Eureka is one of those. And they built this thing um, called the Eureka Timbers. It's kind of like a YMCA for that community, right? And they're a pretty well-to-do community. It's a very nice building. Well, they moved all the material out of that onto this nearby hillside. So... This hillside has woods around it, but it's sort of open field in the middle. They, without compaction or at least enough, they put all this material, endless amounts of material for this massive building up on this hillside. And below it is the main parking. For years, that hillside would wash down into their parking lot and cover, I mean, two inches of mud for 40 plus parking spaces. It it was an amazing mess that would regularly occur. And there's actually some uh, water management down below, so it could infect that area. So they always had to stop it before it could get there. And it was this expensive process of bringing it back up. And I was like, hey, trails stabilize land. Why not put something in there? And so we came up with this idea that this it's a small space, little park. We're like, hey, let's put trails up there. 
and we did it. We brought in this team and it turned into this whole thing. And we had lessons learned during it because it still had erosion issues. But here's the kicker. Even though we had a mistake with the amount of erosion, like we needed more calculation, we brought in water experts, we brought in county drainage people, all this stuff, but it still was a problem. We reduced it to about one-tenth of an environmental issue. So you can see a slight amount of silt in the parking lot now, but nothing compared to what it was. So trails did stabilize it, but we learned from it. This is our error. We needed more roots. So we have grass, but we needed trees. And so actually this last year, we've been working on it. And we finally got it with a local community nonprofit. We are going to work with the trail builders with the city together and actually go up and reface these lines and put trees in all throughout it with experts in forestry management. So we get the right trees and the right spacing and the right care. And we're going to stabilize that whole hillside the rest of the way and bring it back to what it was intended to be. Also, we had some issues with the erosion stuff because it happened to correlate right with our I don't want to block out your uh, trigger words on there, but, you know, our lockdown world, right? So that happened right when this park was supposed to open. And so all of a sudden we can't have people on trails. And as you know, as trail builders know, if you build a new trail and nobody's allowed on it, it's going to deteriorate. You need, we call it the burn in here locally. I'm presuming you guys have a similar term. We need that thing to be packed, which means we need foot traffic. We need riding. We need all this to go on. And it didn't happen. And so we had to deal with that too. And and it was, yeah, that was our errors, but they're correctable and they're good lessons to learn. And we're helping the environment, right? More trees, stabilized hillside and great community element. And now the rest of that forest will never be taken down. It will always remain as a park forever for them. So. Yeah. And you brought up something that's a total side topic on this, but I want to still highlight it because I'm sure you get these questions and I get these questions and probably anybody in trails or has done any trail building questions. And that is, yeah, I got this like farm over here that I own and I want to put trails on it. And my first default is, is, well, you're going to, you're going to let people use it. No, I just want it for me and my friends. And I'm like, well, it's, it's not going to last because you need to have higher use to actually make it like functional because you just can, unless you have groundskeepers that can keep everything cut back and, and used like, Everybody wants it, but they don't realize that it, they have to be used. You you hit it on the nose all the way. Yeah, there's there's no other option. Nature takes it back quick and you will not. It'll be a battle like no tomorrow. And that's that's part of our analysis, too, is the amount of use is a calculation. But also for our region right here, trees are our best friend. We want the root systems for stabilization, but we also need the canopies. If we build out in the open, quite honestly, the only way to do it is to basically pave it. I mean, there's, you're going to be back. I mean, you ready to do some mowing? That's what's going to happen. Well, mowing and the yeah. surface so, just no, goes. area. The surface just goes too, because oh, yeah. people don't understand that canopy actually protects that surface. Yeah, very much so. Tremendous. It's, it's, it's helmet for lack of better terms, yeah. honestly. A little side note on that. I got asked to work in a park that does not meet my standards for my, my personal rules, right? Like I look at outcomes and do predictions and success rate. I want to know that I'm going to be successful greater than 50%. I try to aim for 60% chance of that way. I'm not wasting my own time or their time. Right. But I knew the numbers were bad on this one. It was a small place, but these kids needed help. They have, they basically banned cycling in that community. The, the irony of it, the details aren't as important, but there was a group there that didn't know what we do. That didn't have any understanding of what all the other parks do in the region. Even they are completely isolated. It's the weirdest thing. And 
they made a campaign about us. We're going to knock down all their trees and take out their environment and everything else. And they're campaigning about this, campaigning about this at the exact moment. I'm driving around at multiple other parks, fighting as hard as I can to stop clear cutting to protect the trail system. I'm like, you can't do it. So I'm protecting trees at the exact moment. They're saying you're going to go knock down trees and they, they don't even realize that's occurring. And I'm, and I'm all for positive, like logging, sustainable logging. I'm, I'm all for it. But there's a difference versus literally taking everything out. Right. And, and, and that's what I was working against because they didn't understand how they were going to affect their trail system. I'm like, no, you, you can't do that. The amount of maintenance and care and the disruption in the soil, like, no. So anyways. That's a good tangent to go off on though. One like, of those challenges. Let's go off yeah. on the tangent of when you encounter resistance like that, because we sure. all, you know, whether it's the nimbyism or whatever it is, cause we've encountered yeah. it here. Yeah. Not every community, but a lot of communities, I'd say more than 75% of communities probably face some sort of resistance, whether it's just people not knowing what they're, you know, what, what's coming or, or just yeah. change. People are against change. Yeah. Yep. Change. And it's interesting because I do the NIMBYism piece or speaking from a standpoint where they're very vocal people, but even by their own admission, like I've actually had someone write down, I have no experience, but here's my opinion. And then they provide their opinion in a loud way to city officials who also are missing information or uninformed in this particular topic. It becomes an interesting challenge. And what one of the, I guess if I were to shorten it, like I can give you a bazillion different arguments and angles and all this stuff. The easiest way I can articulate this to anybody else that's listening that needs help, don't fight with them. Don't have an argument. Work with them, understand them, and then convince everyone else you're right. And then it changes what they do, even if they still think you're wrong. And that's how I've gone around it in every way and every time. If you become if your voice and your perspective becomes the thing that everyone else knows and agrees with, then this lone voice or several voices get canceled out. And I've used it over and over again. So if you can utilize the internet the right way, say the right thing, social media, you can campaign through like, so backing up a little bit, I study to these sites, right? The cities and, and how they communicate. I'm members on all of their forums, even though I don't communicate on them. I, I watch their, their channels and see what's important to them and what they're talking about and their angles. And so now, after years of doing this, I'm very seldom surprised. I've heard nearly every twist and misinformed argument point or concern. And, and this is the other biggest thing. People who are concerned always go negative. I heard one guy and all this time go positive. It was kind of amusing, but everybody else had a negative uh, outcome, right? Or this is going to do X and it's going to be a problem. It's going to do this. It's going to be a problem. It's going to be this. It's going to be a problem. Well, uh, I thought you guys might find this entertaining, but we did that process, right? So we actually had to bring the entire city and all of the cycling community in a courtroom in, in front of this entity to help them understand that we wanted this thing like and they were gonna it was a funding issue everybody in there's positive including this one guy who got really loud this guy yells out in front of everyone that the bike park's going to be too successful and we're going to break all the toilets in town 
we're going to overload the sewer system because it's a small town with an outdated system. And he was screaming over everyone else that we were going to break the toilets with the bike park. I was like, so it's a, a negative positive. I don't even know how to take, I mean, is that a, is that a problem? I don't understand. Like, are we saying now we're going to bring enough money to town that we're going to fix your sewer system? Cause that's where this goes, right? You bring in the, the tax dollars and the revenue, but anyways, it was just, again, like, that was the only one that I can note that is the most craziest argument I've heard to date. Other than like, we don't, if you build something, they'll come, right? And again, we're going to overload an area. That's another common thing. I'm like, hey, this the problem is you're not seeing the scope of the project. So we design a trail or trail system or park based on the desired outcome, right? So if in the case of this one that had a lot of nimbyism issues, um, besides that their hillside was completely eroded. It was a it's a whole mess. Their trail systems don't meet any normal trail building standards. It's basically cut through property. They're filling the creek with dirt, like all these other things are going on. But what they didn't understand was what we never were able to make clear because we couldn't communicate with them because they were determined not to communicate is that the trails we were suggesting were only for kids. And the few adults that would use them were probably the guardian parent of the child. Like this is not something that we're bringing in you know, a BME level event. This is something for the NICA kids to practice on. This is something cross-country kids could run on. And they couldn't grasp that we weren't building this massive, you know, downhill jump park thing. They, they didn't see a separation in it. And that's some of those those arguments that I run into. Sorry, I can keep going. I'm trying to stop for you. And uh, Well, I want to get I, into I, some I of your communities. Sure. You know, I think... The one that everyone, you know, the one that's came up to me both on the podcast and in person, just casually talking to people is your Ironton Shepherd Mountain project. So let's kind of talk about that. Yeah. Where it started, because I've heard the backstory, you know, just talking to Steve Friedman, but let's get your take on it, where it's going, where it is now and where the future of it might be, because that's a really good example. Yeah. It's a shining example, actually. Um, And everything. Every place has its unique issues, but even with that, they've overcome so much of it. Ironton is awesome. So I, I had, uh, my family had property not too far from there and during my childhood. And I grew up in that region. And if you're not familiar, if you're not from that corridor of Missouri or haven't been there, they have an interesting geological feature. Um, one small park is called Elephant Rocks. Well, that is basically kind of what it sounds like. It's giant boulders, like oversized granite boulders and other material, but predominantly granite. Well, Ironton is five minutes down the road from that. And there's a hillside there that is full of that same thing on a different scale. There's a lot more of it, but they're smaller in size. They're still enormous, but they're smaller in size. So they're not enough to become a national park. That area was private land. Uh, It was parceled up. It had a lot of typical use of small town America. You know, there's 1,200 people in this town, and there's 600 in each of the adjoining towns. So there's not a lot of population density. And 20 years, for 20 years plus, they were losing more residents than they were gaining. They've lost all of their industries. They lost all their major industries. They There's hollowed buildings, storefronts that are, you know, falling apart, and all this stuff was going. It's a very typical situation. There's a bunch of people that love their place. But they they couldn't get outside of that box, right? And there's a guy named Clinton, good buddy. Um, he had a coincidental lunch one day with 
a local guy down there and said, Hey, I, I, I like ride bikes. I want to put a bike trail down there. Can we, can we do this thing? And then he reached out to Steve and I, Clinton did. And it's like, Hey, we got this opportunity. And that's another element that's important for the rules for me is I don't go where I don't go anywhere unless I'm invited. That's a, that's a basic, another one of my mini checkbox rules. And so we were invited to go see this and we went to the site and I actually had familiarity with the area because of growing up. And I was like, Oh, this, this could be awesome. We got lucky. The, the stars aligned. So all of my rules and all of these things that guide our process, Ironton's mountain sits in the middle of town. And in Missouri, that's unusual, right? It wraps around the town. That is a major selling point. So if we have the same hillside in the middle of nowhere, we can't, as, as we discussed, we can't build a park there due to access, maintenance reasons, all this stuff without a lot of forethought and planning that could stabilize that place. The people are already here. We don't have to bring it. They're here. This, this, the infrastructure is here. And so once we started walking it, most of our hills are protected in different ways for different reasons that, you know, there are unique geologic features. There's bats and, and different hillsides. There's different things that have caused these other hills to be adopted in different ways. This one was, this one has a huge history of disruption. It actually had, they had an attempt at um, making a ski slope. Uh, it actually functioned for two years, I think in the late seventies, early eighties, but the temperatures don't work there. There's no snow. And so that, that caused a problem. It has uh, civil war history. It had cannon emplacements. So there's actually, we have them, they're cornered off their historical sites. There was uh, clear cutting. The hillside was shaved down. It was a mine, uh, iron mines and so forth, obviously for Ironton, uh, the city. and there is remnants of this everywhere. Everything up there had been disturbed. There was fires. So we were going to do a site that was pretty new in the sense of its growth and, and uh, environmentally, right? At this point, it's a reset button again. And so they couldn't see it, right? They didn't have this information experience. It's like, hey, how? what, what are you saying we can do with this? I'm like, you're sitting on a gold mine. They're like, no. I'm like, yes, this is the golden ticket. The amount, this is the neatest thing is that the amount of elevation drop that we have over such a short distance compared to other mountains, it's one of the top, I think it's like top two in the state. We got, I mean, that's, that's, you drew the lucky card. We're looking at the steepest, gnarliest, craziest downhills that can go up to any, we have some stuff that I'll, I'll drop it here for you, but a, a lot of our trails are around anywhere from like, three quarters of a mile to about a mile and a half of the downhill lines, just based on our lower elevations compared to say the Western States. And so we actually have some other spots where we'll have directional or potentially directional uh, lines up to nearly three miles. We're working on something right now and backing up onto it. I, I started, we started uh, hiking the hillside and there's so much terrain there. Uh, we use, you know, side-by-side -side ATVs, which is typical on that hill anyways. And we started scouting it and, and mapping it and doing the stuff. And before we knew it, we, we knew what we had. And then the challenge was we had to help them understand it, right? And so that's where the presentations came in. That's where the talks came in. And they, they loved it. They were super excited. And coincidentally, this, this is always a challenge. Like where does funding come from? Everything, every place we worked at has uniqueness to it, including here. Obviously, a town of 1,200 people, they have the smallest budget possible, right? You know, it's very typical small town America. Well, up the road, 
there was there is a reservoir and it collapsed years earlier and it did a lot of damage. The federal government put in with the state and created a fund. That fund has done different things and it's called ICEP. That's the name of the group that manages this thing. And I took all the rules and with my government background, I'm a, a bit of an obsessive reader. I, I can't read fiction for the life of me. I get bored out of my mind. But if, if you give me stereo instructions, I'll sit and read it all day. And so I'm reading these documents and these legal documents. I'm going through it. I'm like trying to find it. Uh, Clinton went through it a lot. The other guys went through it a lot. Um, there's like 30 something pages, if I remember. And we highlighted keywords. So I think bicycle appeared in it like 15 times. And then the words extreme bike or no, not bike because that was missing from it. extreme sports park was an option to use these funds. That that was something somebody all these years ago wrote, whatever that was supposed to mean. So we twisted everything to mean what we mean, right? So now we have this document that says, we want you to build this awesome downhill park on this hillside. And they're like, well, heck. And that's, that's kind of where it all went from. And the, the city was super supportive. Um, the city had buy-in big time. And every city is a little different. And in this one in particular, uh, they formed a group called VGI, Valley Group Initiative. It's just volunteers, but a lot of them have like city role positions or they're, you know, former principals or their current, you know, district uh, uh, principal for a whole region or everybody has an important piece of uh, business owners, et cetera. And they did not stop. I, I mean, hundreds of meetings. These people, it is very different than other cities. They didn't quit. So many emails, so many messages. And if I can skip a little bit ahead of it, because a lot of people know that, you know, we built this. Basically, once the funding was finally approved, the primary funding was released, the reason why we built the gnarliest trails first is because of impact, right? So typically, you want to be inclusive of green trails, of welcoming areas on top of having that fun element, right? That little more difficult element, whatever that looks like for you guys. But we went the opposite this time. And I don't recommend doing that. This is a special case. And the reason is because we saw the writing on the wall. We're like, look. This is so cool. I bet we can get a big event here, like top downhill, top enduro, whatever else. And coincidentally, uh, one of our buddies, Dave Elkin, is one of the managers inside BME. He was a resident of St. Louis originally, even though he moved away. And so the conversation starts. And before you know it, when we get these, we got Jagged Axe as the builder. You have to have the right builder. They're artists, right? You got to pick the, the right builder for the right canvas, for lack of better terms. And then you get all those stars lined up, everything's good to go, and we open it. The, the difficulty is the shortcoming right now, which they are aggressively addressing has always been part of the plan, is we're missing true green trails, like true green cross-country, everything else. One of, our, one of our directional downhills that's green, we jokingly, lovingly call it teal, right? Because there is a moment where a lot of green riders are slamming their brakes and walking or full stop, even though... It's a green rated downhill trail. It gives them pause. And backing up a little bit to get the money released. Uh, this is a misunderstanding, right? This is this is where all these political positions and talks and all this politics come into play. They missed um, they misunderstood what Gork was. And they thought Gork was a business. In a sense, it is. It's a nonprofit, right? But there's nobody. We have some paid people that do stuff for us. But everybody's volunteers. And so they're like, hey, we need Gork to hold events. We need Gork to 
sign a contract. We can go to, I'm like, I can compel myself, but I can't compel volunteers to do anything. I can ask, but I definitely cannot sign a contract for people that are volunteering. Like it's just not a thing, right. To make, to, to compel them to build something, do something. And so they're like, well, we need, we need skin in the game. It was their words, right. We need skin in the game. I was like, all right. And the city was doing their version of skin in the game simultaneously. Right. And they, they wanted something. And that's where uh, you may have heard of it. Coolio's climb came from. So there was some two track trail, Jeep road trail on the mountain, old logging road stuff, you know, so forth. But there was no, there was some, there was a one local trail that, that was underutilized and under maintained just because there wasn't support for it. Right. There's a couple that loved it and cared for it, but it was too much for two people. And the park is so steep. Um, elevation gain is so high over there, you know, uh, so I mapped and mapped and mapped with a bunch of people, brought in tree experts, brought in local people, a uh, guy that does all kinds of uh, searching for artifacts up there, brought in those kind of people, brought in everybody we could to map this out. And then I used my phone with GPS turned on and I photo all these cool geological sites. And I work with it to lay out percent of grade uh, to make sure we hit our percentage right and try to get to each of these beautiful sites or overlooks or all this. And we put in what we know as Coolio's climb, right? My moniker, for lack of better terms. I did not know they were going to call it Coolio's climb. I had no idea that was going to be a thing. But uh, we offered as volunteers to build that trail to motivate ISEP to release the fund. And so this is another rule that's really important to me. We have to build something for the community itself. Not just the trail system for the community to bring them bikers, to bring them visitors, and maybe let them ride if they want to be in it. But we have to build something separate. And so I always tell people to wrap whatever you're building in hiking, walking, more casual cycling trails. Now, this trail is actually still pretty extreme because of the terrain that it's on. But it is the, it is the least elevation gain over time compared to anything else. We average 5% on it, which is very unusual out there. Most stuff is like 15%, 20%. I mean, it's, it's, for those that don't know, that means just straight up. It just goes straight up. This trail is, you earn it. It is, diff, it is all, all the way up. But you got 2.3 miles to get to the top now. You have a gradual climb, and they're having community hikes out there. They're having walks for their local people. We had uh, just a casual day. We had, I think, 20, 25 people showed up the other day just for a walk, just to have it. They didn't have that before. And now they have that. And they're realizing that it's theirs. It's for them. And, and it's the gift from Gork to that community. And we ended up calling on. We had about, I, I ran a machine on it predominantly. And uh, the city supported me. A guy named John, just every time I broke something, because you break everything, there is just solid rock. Break teeth, you break, you throw tracks, you you bend machines, you do all kinds of crazy stuff, and even just getting to the machine is difficult. There's so much fuel and time involved, and so John supported me heavily. It would not have happened without him. And we're, we're building this thing, and we ended up you have to do the cleanup, right? You got to get things going. And so we had about forty or fifty volunteers that came, predominantly from St. Louis. So an hour and a half drive uh, came down. They they knew how important it was. Now we have a fully functioning shuttle park. There's a lot of elements that constantly need improvement, love, direction. Like we're working on things daily, but it exists. It's real. It's the first shuttle park of its kind in Missouri. And now we have multiple actually occurring, both public and private. And there's this whole development, but, but it, it was everything. And 
I'll stop for a second and pause because I've been talking a while, but do you want me to, I have a cool anecdote related to the breakdown of what it's done for the community. Should we delve into that world? Like I can show you. Let's definitely delve into that world before, and because I do want to get into other communities as well and where you're also working, sure. but let's do the, since that's probably your, I don't want I want to say oldest, but not oldest because it's not old. Yeah. It's almost three years now since we started. I just got alert. Yeah. But you've got probably right. the most history there in terms of like what it's actually done. Uh-huh. So anecdotally, I look at all this data, right? I look at, I try to collect things up. One of the things that I noticed was the real estate. There's homes in Ironton that have been for sale, especially higher priced homes relative to that community. Higher priced homes have been for sale for anywhere from seven to 10 years average is what I noted. Today, we're, we're, we're now two years of opening, three years of into this process with this park. They're all gone. Every one of them sold. They're all sold. The population is growing for the first time in that community. There's more residents coming in than leaving in 20 years since this park established. They completely rewrote a school curriculum across 15 schools. Uh, they opened it. It's a new outdoor related class. They had a thousand students ready to sign up and it filled in the first day of opening. There's kids on a waiting list to get in this class now. They have their first mountain bike teams, kids mountain bike teams. They have their first non-school mountain bike teams. So it's inclusive of kids that maybe are homeschooled or whatever else they're, or they go to different school districts. It is immensely changed the trajectory for these children. They now are racing in part of NICA and, and locally for us, we've got about 500 kids in the, in it now. And so they're traveling to these events that they didn't even know existed before. And we have this tied into school scholarship programs that leads to that next phase, right? It leads to traveling, it leads to overseas traveling. And, and it's this path that has opened this door for this small town America. And then if you look at the business side of things, so it was very typical. It was a nice small town and there's some successful businesses in there, but predominantly for every business, you'll find an empty building, right? You'll see a nice business, empty building, empty building, nice buildings, et cetera, et cetera. It's changed everything down there. There, there was uh, a guy named Chris Spitzmiller, uh, it was Spitzmiller Realty, and there's a guy named Dan Buck with Buck Realty. And, and Chris went through and refaced and, and built new all these buildings up and down the street, working with all these different businesses, finding deals, working them. The entire downtown district has a new face, basically. Like modern buildings, modern, it is, it's done a beautiful job all the way up and down. The businesses that were already established there, like one of the restaurants, they doubled the size. They bought the adjoining building and opened up this indoor-outdoor space related to this activity. Dan uh, Buck, one of the, like I said, local real estate guys, is also a trained five-star chef. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I, my dream has always been to open my own restaurant down here, but we didn't have the opportunity to do it. He gives his business, passes his business to his daughter so she can run the real estate business. He opens up, it's a place with kind of a, a fun name, Pumpkins, with an N on the end at Pumpkins. And it is unbelievable. You go in there, you're like, wait, I'm in rural Missouri. And like, he, he has a little bit of a layback atmosphere. You know, you can come in there, whatever clothing you got on, right? But it's sort of like a white tablecloth kind of food, right? Like top level sirloin steaks, top, you know, fish and, and seafood and awesome salad. Like whatever you pick in there, you're not going to go. I, I've never gotten anything different than, than the most wonderful foods. And and we saw new businesses open up, other restaurants, uh, retail shops, bike shop, first bike shop opened up, uh, new campgrounds opened up, Arcadia, 
there is all kinds of growth that you can attribute. And this is the numbers from their bank. I, I don't know exactly how they made a conclusion of this, but since the beginning of the, the bike park, their local banks saw 4 million in investment in their town. Now think about this relative to the size of the town, right? That's 1,200 people, $4 million. That's like, you know, a normal sized town. That's like somebody coming in and saying they, they, they put in $50 million, right? That's like that level of impact for them. It's amazing. And it all spurred off of this. That's the idea, right? The bike portion of the bike park is, is it can become the industry, right? If you think of it that way, and then all these people in it, the idea is if you give them something to work off of, you let them dream and they build their dream because they know there's going to be people now. And so that's where, like I said, the campgrounds and RV campgrounds, tent campgrounds, luxury campgrounds, those all opened up. All these different restaurants, all these different retail stores, like it's pretty cool to watch, honestly. And this is all on a small scale for one rural town, right? And we, we, we call the whole area Arcadia Valley. Uh, for those in the know, there's Pilot Knob, Ironton, and Arcadia. And they, there's some small town rivalry there and why they're, they should, they're the size that they should just be one town, but they're not. But they all work in unison for this. They all support this thing. And it's been a really cool experience. Also, we were able to write and create jobs in the city that didn't exist before. And so one of those is a parks director position uh, related specifically bike park director. So they actually have a retail building. They have a, it's brand new. It's beautiful. It's called the wheelhouse. And so you can go in there and there's all kinds of swag and things you can buy and stuff. And it actually, it's a place for like race registry has been held there. There's, there's lots of comings and goings and stuff, and it's full of elaborate restrooms. So we have a full super fan. It's actually my house, like showers and everything else. Like I'd rather go shower there. It's beautiful inside. Um, and then they have a typical retail counter and you can buy your tickets to use the shuttle. Uh, one of my other rules, parks are always need to be open and free to the public. That's who I work with. I'm not, there should be me who loves those e-bikes. And, uh, <laughs> but they, we were able to create these parks positions. So now we have, you know, a bike park director. We have multiple supporting staff members from uh, retail workers to uh, managerial positions at different levels, overseeing like retail, overseeing the vehicles, uh, the drivers of the vehicles, uh, janitorial positions, all this stuff happen. And, and they don't have this yet because this is the size of their community. John overlaps a lot of it, but I really do see a parks superintendent of all parks as a position soon. That's the next logical step in their government structure. It's progressing all in that way. We, we basically create jobs. It, it, it creates, and I have to give credit to somebody. He doesn't know how much he influenced me, but he did. I've talked to him a couple of times, even though he, I'm sure he forgot who I was. But um, Sean Leader over at Winrock, super kind, gave us so much good info, was so supportive and, and helped us understand their business model and how they make it function and why and why it works. Besides the obvious coolness that is Winrock, right? And the uniqueness of it, like, why does it function? How does it keep going? And that's that was a big piece. We adopted a lot of those elements, uh, a lot of things we, we observe, we watch. I've been there, you know, a bunch. And anyways, that's what happened. And now we have all these jobs for people. And and a handful of jobs in the community that size is a big deal, actually. It, it means something and it can keep growing from there. So hopefully, hopefully that, that wasn't too much for your community, but uh, that was a lot of stuff. Sorry. 
it's good to be detailed like that because it really highlights all the different components that can come out of something something like this. Before we move on from Shepherd Mountain, I want you to quick tell me if the shuttle service runs seven days a week, five days a week, just weekends, like what's the what's the shuttle service run there just for anybody listening that may want to go? Because they're probably thinking sure. about that at this point, like yeah. I am. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so park, like I said, is open, normal park hours. You can find it on the website. You can find it on Google, normal places you search for it. The shuttle service, if you go look at the Wheelhouse website um, and Shepherd Mountain, they have it all listed there, but basically it's weekends. So it, the hours sort of adjust as we deal with less sunlight, less less daylight, and we go into the winter months. But basically it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's when they run. And the beginning and end of the day, again, like I said, it's sort of shifting right now. So just look it up to make sure you're correct based on when you're hearing this podcast, right? If you look in another month, it may be different. So, uh, But roughly it's daytime hours during that that period of time, Friday, Saturday, Sunday for shuttles. And then you have Coolio's climb if you are not shuttling. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna send this out to your world, right? Um, I haven't found this yet, uh, so I'm I'm hurt, right? Going a little in my background, militarily, civilian jobs and biking. I've hurt myself a lot. I have lung damage, so I couldn't ride a bike. And thanks to my buddy Steve Friedman, who pushed me all the way back in 2018, and thanks to Arkansas and everybody down there for welcoming me. I probably was the first major e-biker in their racing series. And I, I couldn't ride. Um, I tried under my own power. Like I used to be a, a racer, right? Back in the day. And it, and it got taken from me through these injuries. And I just didn't want to quit, but I didn't know what to do. I, I could ride by myself a little bit. I, some days I'd be really bad. And I'd get stuck in the woods and have to like basically drag myself out. I'd have long attacks and stuff. And then there's other times where I could ride quite a bit further successfully but I couldn't go as fast as everybody else anymore at all. Like to the point where I was miserably slow, like people were not wanting to ride with me because I was so slow. E-bikes overnight changed it. And this Steve reminded me of this, but I was able to go from barely riding one of our local cross country trails to within two weeks, I raced at O-Rock, if you're familiar in Ar- or excuse me, in Oklahoma, one of the hardest enduros in existence. I was able to complete the race for the first time, it meant the world to me. I, I didn't care where I placed. I, I just, just to finish it blew my mind and it opened this door up to me. And this is before we started building all these bike parks. And that's where I got to really experience all these places. I raced in Scott and Duro, uh, Arkansas, uh, Southeast, Southwest, uh, all these different enduros. They welcomed me once they realized I was hurt, even though there wasn't an e-bike class yet. So it just blew these doors open for me. And it and it blazed a path. I actually raced at Winrock, so uh, I apologize, but I gotta get up on this tangent. A little anecdotal piece. I'm riding up at the Rebel event. I think this was like 2018. I kind of forget 2019, somewhere around there. And I'm I'm sitting on their shuttle. And if you're familiar with their shuttle, it's like this elevated platform on top of these vehicles. Kind of crazy. It's pretty cool. We're riding up this, and I'm looking around me. I'm, I am I recognize a couple like race uh, promoters, like the people that are really fast that run a lot of these series. But everyone else around us was wearing Red Bull helmets. I'm like, I am not on the right bus. This is not where I, I'm on an e. I'm the only one on e bike, and I'm surrounded by Red Bull. I'm going to be in their way. Something is not right. So we get to the top of the hill. Well, they want to give us a warm up, so they dropped us 15 minutes from the top. And I was like, well, this, there's no way I'm going to be in this group. I can't ride with you know. There's 20 or 30 Red Bull helmets. I'm like, I'm going to uh, no way. So I dial up to Turbo. And blast out of there. And I dropped all, they're just warming up. They're not doing anything. I dropped all of them out of sight. 
and rolled up to the gate. And so I'm doing my best. They let me in. So I'm, I'm racing. And, you know, you, you, the pro goes first, right? Whoever the leader is at that time goes first. So I'm listening for a train coming down behind me at any moment. I'm riding down Windrock. Everybody hears a bike coming. All the cameras get ready. Red Bull stuff. Everything's all exciting. And they're all like, yeah. And then this dude putting along on an e-bike in 2018, 2019 comes trucking through waving. I was like, yeah, I'm that jackass. That's me. Thanks. I, 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 I'll be out of here in a minute. Just, just bear with me. But anyways, <laughs> I apologize. I right, let jump. Let's jump back to your to your question. Can you can you restate again for me with with Ironton? I'll I'll try to. Re- you answered it. I just asked about the asked about the shuttle the shuttle service and and the times oh, okay. and when it's open. So, but let's move on from Ironton into some of your other projects because cool. really you're you're even leaving Missouri for for your consulting services. I guess we want to call them that. But let's talk about like other parts of Missouri. I know St. Joseph's a big one, right? Yeah, big time. Um, so uh, St. Joseph. So here, here's here's an interesting thing. Um, the builder, it sort of dented their reputation a little bit with Eureka because of the erosion problem, right? People didn't understand how much of that was the site versus the builder, right? Like they couldn't connect the two. Yet I knew how good these builders were. And if you aim them again, you, you find the right canvas for these people. Uh, we, we evaluated a lot of companies. So I got called uh, by a council member who was also a biker who said, hey, can you come up and talk to us? We're kind of stuck. And he's done a lot at this point. His, his name is Madison. Uh, great guy. Super fast cross-country dude. And he's like, I want to build this for my community. I want, I, again, you got to have somebody with the vision, right? Got to have somebody that wants it and is the person on site. And I was like, all right, let's, let's do this thing. And I kind of dig into this history and I find out, first off, their downtown is super historic. They have this, they have mansions that are like old. It is it's a crazy, beautiful place and it's hollowed out. It, it's just almost a ghost town downtown. There's a few sparse businesses that are pretty cool businesses, but it, it's just empty buildings, Every, skyscraper buildings, like old bricks and really cool stuff. And, and then they have this suburbia area on the other side of their, their town. That is the typical malls, shopping malls, open face malls, you know, all that kind of endless chain restaurant, fast food, what have you. But this side is kind of forgotten. And there's this beautiful overlook that sees over the flat plain. So they have this big old hillside, super steep hillside, actually, that oversees Kansas, which if you're familiar, when you're looking from Missouri to Kansas, there is a drastic difference. There is perfectly flat. And so this this hillside had a lot of history to it. It oversees uh, the river is right there. All this kind of layout. They have some park elements in there. And not exaggerating this, they were trying to make this a park for 100 years. There is a history that we dug into. There is dilapidated buildings. Um, there's a lot of attempts at things that didn't work. There's like shelters that were falling down or remnants of things. It was a mine. There's a hidden mine underneath that most people don't know is there. There is so much that has happened on this hillside. And like, hey, we, we we see a vision. So I go scout it. I walk it with one of the local guys who's built a lot of cross country on it and some crazy downhill. And uh, uh, we're going we're going through this uh, uh, whole element. And I'm like, there's we're sitting on something awesome. And and it meets that standard, right? So the standard is: can we put in green trails? Can we put in welcoming hiking elements and still get some cool mountain bike stuff in there that kind of attracts that attention, right? I equate it to Six Flags or any theme park, right? 
So you have these unbelievable roller coasters that get everybody's attention, but not everybody wants to ride it, but everyone wants to see it. They want to come there as a family and the family will disperse and do the things that they're able to do. And you get those few that'll ride that roller coaster. That's how I look at these trails, right? You want to build, you know, 80, 80% of it needs to be accessible if you can help it, depending unless there's a specific purpose for that park. And then that 20%, you know, is that crazy stuff or wild jumps or crazy downhills or a mix of all the above. And you can put that little flavor into the green trails, right? You can get the right kind of rollers and St. Joe lend itself to that. Like it was really cool, but they had, they had some issues. One of their pieces of the park was on the other side of a connecting road with an interstate next to it. Like, how do you get there? Right. So we needed a pedestrian bridge. They always had a dream of putting it in anyways, but again, they couldn't get over that hump, right? They, it's typical city stuff. They can't get to that next element. And this city actually has a tourism tax. That is a big element. You look for places that have a tourism tax because that's what you can justify to use in these situations. And, and they did. So we go in, we evaluate. There was tons of companies that we, we worked through, did a lot of interviews. Typical ones, you know, awesome ones like Rock Salad and Imba and all this stuff. But there was a difference. Nomad, uh, they didn't have quite the scale for their company, but they love that place because that's where they're from, actually. So they're, they're from the Kansas City, Missouri side because there's Kansas and then there's Kansas City in Missouri. And so they're that side and with, with St. Joe. That's their home area. So you know when you get a builder that it's also their home, they're going to have a lot of pride and they want their backyard to be beautiful, right? So you can, there's some faith there in it. And it just all lined up uh, talking to the, the entity. Because to, to, the scale of this project, we actually brought in a top-level architectural firm to oversee it. Like it, it, it's a big deal. And they build, they build runways. They build, uh, you know, Park systems, all kinds. Of, they're, they're they're full gamut, but they have a uh, greenway down the center, and then they got the the one point five million dollar bridge put in to connect it to make this all possible and connect everything. And it basically, I'm not exaggerating, I think, because a lot of it comes offline, right? Like a lot of a lot of talks are on the side, right? You get everybody together so that it's not a public thing, and then what the public experiences is a very positive conversation with all the kinks worked out, you know, and all the questions worked out. And so I think we had three meetings in front of the city council, what took a hundred years, spent hundreds of thousands in planning and all It's very typical, right? It's very typical to have master plans that are six figures or minimum of little plans of $10,000 $10, on up, you know, all this. And we did it in three meetings and, and they blessed off. And so we put uh, 3.5 million into the park initially. Um, they already had pre-approval for a pump track system, kind of jump park area, some kids areas. We're developing what that will look like. This money all went into the main greenway for the hiking, walking, and all this stuff. As an example, some of the things that we used to justify it, they had uh, a lot of, because it was kind of off the beaten path a bit at the time, they had all this, uh, you know, period, periodic motorcycle use that wasn't appropriate for that. I'm, I'm, I'm a rider, so I get it. You got to find a place to ride. But that was supposed to be a park, you know, people can, families can walk in and you're, you're sharing the same space with quads. It doesn't quite work out. So what happened was by building this park and making it so welcoming, you don't have to restrict the motorcycles out of there. They just move. It's just natural. So it creates that image that the city wanted, right? And the riders go somewhere else. And then, and then all of a sudden you have this family welcoming park with all these cool mountain bike trails piercing off of it. And they cited this in their reason. 
but this is this is kind of crazy because I don't want people to think that this will always happen. I had no idea this was going to occur, um, but I just got uh, articles sent to me and some wind of it. That downtown area, like I said, has been super quiet. Right? It's a major highway. It's a it, so again we analyze things. How what's access like? Right? So it's a major thoroughfare, but it was quiet. Like there's nothing there. The park is directly next to it. Like you you go under the highway overpass. And, and you're there and you're at the beginning of this park system and, and, and it all connects and the riverfront's beautiful and all this stuff is, is pretty awesome. Well, Marriott took note that the park now exists and the development and they are putting in a $27 million hotel between the downtown and the park. So it went from nothing to that overnight. And Nomad has been a big hit up there from a building perspective. The people love it. Like, I continually get calls from city. The city officials are calling me to tell me they're getting me a job at another city in another place. Like that's, they're so happy with the results and that's how I gauge it, right? What's the community reaction to it? What is this? It's changed their bike shop up there completely, what they sell, how they act, uh, you know, how they interact with their community. Um, the, the postings on their forum, it's constant now. Like it's a whole thing. They've got volunteers. They actually, we helped them create, actually helped write it. They have a new supervisory position. Uh, the person's name is Mika, oversees uh, all that park element there, all of the bike trails, the hiking trails, all that, um, which is the same person that was helping build them originally. They have a dirt jump park called Ride It Like They Stole It. You know, it's that, that out of the back of the woods place that isn't really authorized, but it's kind of authorized. Well, now it's a real thing because of all this. And so they went in and they refaced everything and you'll get videos and footage from people doing all kinds of stuff there now. And they have like donation programs where there's kids, you know, get bikes who can't afford bikes. Like there's all this stuff that's spurred off of this. Yeah, it's a major piece. And going one bigger, what ended up happening was I looked at these, um, this small element, like I had a goal in mind of what it would do for the community, and which was Eureka. And then it, and it spurred all these other places. But I quickly knew that I had to get a handle on where they're going. So I will turn down or accept places based on an unofficial master plan of the state. And so if you look at our state, the way it's aligned, we have a triangle in the middle of it that points off to the east. And so if you look at St. Louis at the point of the triangle, you look at St. Joe as the top northwest, and you look down at Springfield as the bottom uh, southwest, you create this triangle. And then we also have a new line coming off of it at the point of the triangle of St. Louis going straight down. Also, that's our Southeast corridor. And so breaking it down, where does the highway go? That That's where we put all of those shuttle parks. So Holler itself, as you're all familiar, right? They opened up their own park. They did their own thing. I, I was there at the beginning when they did some building, we talked and stuff, but they're, they're doing their own thing and they're, and they're doing some pretty amazing stuff there. And it's a huge compliment to the state, right? So now you have that shuttle system down there. You have a shuttle capable park at St. Joe. They're still working out their shuttles, but they do fun weekend shuttles, right? If you write on their board and say, hey, I'm coming up, can we run shuttles? They'll do it for you. But there's no official consistent system yet. And then down here in this corner, we've got Ironton, right? So you now you got shuttle parks in each corner. And then in between, we start peppering with all these places. And there's some long established places like Forest City, and of course, all in the Springfield region, you've got, you know, Two Rivers, Nixa, um, you've got the Trail Spring Group, all the stuff they're doing. There's tons of stuff that they're doing down there. And they're bleeding off of the, you know, Arkansas stuff because they're just above Bentonville area and Eureka Springs area. 
And if you, if you look at it, we had a master plan. And what ended up happening was state officials took note. And a lot of that's thanks to our mayor level, like in Ironton and so forth, they reached out constantly. All of a sudden, we had state senators interested in visiting and meeting with us. And we had state reps meeting with us. And then before you knew it, we had federal level senators meeting with us from the state and all this stuff. And it just started growing. And now they're like, will you come up and speak with us? They brought us into the House and Senate. We were announced on the floor during session. They offered to help us find funding. Uh, We're working right now. I don't know if you knew this, but we actually changed state law through this process, actually, to better favor specifically bike parks, but all over the above. Eureka's lawyer did that. She was amazing and how she wrote it, went through. Uh, it's on the books as of August two years ago. We amended all the laws, including camping, everything, to make it a more welcoming state for these activities and protect those cities so they have confidence to do it. But they're taking note. We're, we're invited to the state capitol. It's turning into a whole thing, and it changes that process. And, and they see that tourism value. And if we sell it right, which I am, this is where I have a shortcoming and I'm working on it, we need to tell the story. And we need to arm them with info. And before we know it, like, like as an example, something they can easily do for us, we have all these different grants, right? We have grants for, think about these communities, $20,000 that you have to pay in to a grant to get $200,000. That $20,000 means they can pay or not pay their fire department. Like that matters. You can't, they don't have the money. So how do we do it? That's what I want to work on. I want to work on creating a system that if these communities, these small communities in particular, apply and show they've earned these grants, but then they can't fund the difference that usually is required, the state will pick up the difference. Even if it is a state grant, I want the state to help these towns. And the reason is, the motivation is we can show why and what it does afterwards. And you put all this stuff in, here's what you get. Here is that result. Here is what you do for that community. Here's what you do for business. Here's what you do for the locality. And we need to better tell that story. And honestly, being on your show is one of the best ways to do it. Truthfully, like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be, but it's just, it allows us to, to talk about it, right? And I've flown under the radar until recently with most of this because of a, a lot of reasons. I didn't want credit. I don't need individual credit. It is the community. So like, there's no way... If you if you think I'm having success, it's it's not me. It's a misperception. Uh, not exaggerating. I put in that article. I think I worked with around a thousand people. Um, there are so many people that have support every. The reason why I have success is because I surround myself with people that are smarter than myself. I'm good at connecting, and so I think you might have heard about it in there. But I have these lovely black books that I write. Um, these little notebooks, and one is just tired, hundreds of pages. And most of it is people I met. It's lessons learned, it's goals, it's it's data, but a lot of it is connections. And so when I see a problem with community, I know who to call. If I need trees, I know who to call. If I see water problems, I know who to call. If I have this type of material on the ground, I know who to call. And that's the biggest thing. If you can create that network, you can skip way ahead. It kind of delves into this, but I'll leave it up to you where you want to direct the conversation. This leads into... I want to give away the process. That's where it leads me to. I, I, I want to be unimportant. I want, I'm a cog in a wheel and I want to be replaceable. And because I've seen how quickly and well this process works, I want to develop it fully. I have all the paperwork. I've got like the RFQs, RFPs, all the stuff, the contracts, the job descriptions, the contractual job descriptions, the permanent job descriptions. Um, park layout design, why you select a location, the parameters for selecting a job, all of that. And I'm going to give it away. 
I want people to be able to take this and run with it in their community and wherever I have a shortcoming or wherever it doesn't apply to your community, adjust it. That's the whole idea. And at the end of the day, I can just be another voice in the crowd, but you have the info and all of these things that take a while to develop. All those boxes, those questions, we've answered them. You, we just got to get you the information. And so that's where I'm at now. I want to set up everybody else. And we can talk about Griffin Bike Park when you're ready for Indiana. And I, I don't leave the state. I made an exception to leave the state this time. So, and this is almost putting the end before the end because we are going to go to Griffin Bike Park. And I do want to talk on, about a couple other things, but the replaceable part, I want to continue on because you brought that up. Because I think that's an important part. And it was, it was told to me, ah, this may have been 15 years ago or more when I got involved with, with our local trail club in its former state, which was called human mm-hmm. power trails, which was, you know, when you, when you get involved, you immediately have to start looking for the person that's going to replace you. Yeah, that's accurate. You know, and I think some people miss that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a fallacy to think that it only functions with you. Right. And I think that's my militaristic side, right. Coming out. I did a lot of jobs, but if I did my job well, I set up the next person for success, then the next person in that role or the people who work below me or next to me. I, I, my job is to make everyone else look better, right? That's, that's how I look at it, regardless of what I'm doing. And, and that's, and that's the case here. And so this is, this is something I did a lot. This is long since gone, but I had a knack for technology early and I was, Having, I had cell phones when people didn't have cell phones kind of thing, just because of my father's careers and stuff. And that was his job, right? And so I ended up with stuff and I figured out I liked all that sort of thing. And I learned that pretty quickly that I could talk to programmers and understand what they were saying, even though I'm not a programmer. And I could translate it to, for lack of better terms, everyday people and bridge that gap. And so I used to teach people how to uh, run software on their phones that wasn't otherwise authorized, right? Like entire operating systems, we would run custom skins and 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 full operating systems, all kinds of stuff. And I would show people how to do that. And I was on forums hanging out, just answering questions because it was fun. It was just a side thing, no big deal. And before I knew it, I figured out I was repeating myself over and over again. I was just like, man, there's got to be a better way. And so YouTube was invented then. And all of a sudden I put out YouTube. And before I knew it, it was actually making money. It was a whole thing. I dropped it quite honestly because I'm a little ADD and I got bored and uh, just moved on in life and had other avenues. And, and this is this, I'm at the same stage now. I'm repeating myself over and over again. It's part of why I agreed to be in that one article with Business Alert. It was why I agreed to speak with your podcast. I can say it once. And if I do things correctly and produce the right information, it gives everybody the tools instead of one person the tools or one city the tools. And I, I remove myself from being important. And so I, I foresee a book, uh, super low cost. Like I want to, like 99 cents, I want to give it away basically. Whatever it is to make it support itself, I want to do that. Um, notes, uh, websites, uh, videos, uh, people, being on people's podcasts, telling a story, telling how it goes, right? All of that. That's where this leads to me in my mind. That's the next logical step besides another big element, which is we, it's the same thing legal, like there's legal term overlap, but we kind of differentiate verbally this way, at least in English. 
we have a nonprofit, right? We work as a nonprofit. Okay. We're volunteers at a nonprofit. You can have pay people in nonprofit, but we're volunteers. The the next step is what I refer to as a foundation, right? So with financial backing and the right structure and a paid staff, I would I would choose not to be a paid person. I want them to have success again without me. I'll guide it. I will help it, but I want it to exist on its own. And I see a, a foundation doing the same thing. I, I jokingly call myself Fimba right now, free Imba, right? Like, and you 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 get free quality. So don't mistake. I'm not I'm not saying I'm Imba. They have a full staff and they do some amazing, crazy, unbelievable documentation and evaluation of sites. I'm just giving away a version of that to our area. That's all I'm doing. I'm trying to complement it all, right? And so anyway, this is where that leads, right? If it, and if it gives people tools, that, and then they can call in experts, right? They can call in, example, it was EMBA or the PTA or any of these other entities that we all know the acronyms for and monikers for. They can call them in. Like, who, how about this? Uh, a basic question that cities always that, well, who can build this sort of thing? Like, they don't even know where to look. And that's where, you know, like I've had Jagged X, Nomad, um, I got right now uh, Stray Trails. Uh, we did stuff with Cam Zink's team with uh, Rad Trails. We all these different groups. Like, but I know how to contact them. I can get. Why should I be the only one that knows how to get to them? Give that away in the process. And if you want this type of trail, this is who you call. And we put it. Make it real simple. Make it really straightforward. You want gnarly rock trails? I can tell you who to call. You want flow? I can tell you who to call. And that's how we build it up. So. Yeah, and that's and sharing that knowledge is is key because that's how we. That's how we get more places like St. Joe, Missouri. Yeah. And all the, you know, like, I mean, I, I haven't been to Shepherd Mountain yet, so I need to get there. Bring elbow pads, bring a chest protector. <laughs> I've seen the pictures. I've seen the videos. I've, I've heard people talk about it, um, especially at the BME level. Yeah. And it's funny. Cause I, I say that I, I would say that same thing about Windrock, which you've brought up, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, if Winrock had a little sister, we'd call it Shepherd. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And you're yeah. doing in the and, middle of the and, country and you're, you know, and I, this is a, this might be a bold statement that I'm about to make. And I'm sure, sure. it's been made before because it's, it is what's happening, but you're essentially rebuilding middle America through mountain biking and trails, you know, and, and obviously there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle that come into that. You know, it's, it's, it is a lot more than that. I don't want to discount other pieces of that puzzle, but it's huge, you know, and they, they did the same thing in Northern Minnesota. They're working on doing the same thing in Northern Minnesota. Same, same exact concept. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. It makes me a little emotional because it, people always wonder, they're like, what is this dude's motivation? Like, why is he, why would anybody do what he's doing at little or no cost? Right. I think I'm doing it because I should. Because I, I can, so I should. There's part of that moral obligation there. Um, but the reason I really do it is because of what you just said. I, I have family in these communities. I've seen people struggle. And they're, and this is a tool to change that. And if, you know, you, you can lead the horse to water kind of thing. You see what they do, if they're going to drink or not. But we're giving them the water, right? We're, we're getting them there. And, and it really is refacing this middle region through this Thanks to St. Charles and, and that park staff up there, um, they got Kinetic Park. And then in, in particular, on top of that park, they have the largest pump track in the nation, right? And because of that, they've been able to have Red Bull level events 
I watched a young girl. This is their words because I'm sensitive about it, but um, she was overweight per their own definition. And she was 100 pounds overweight. She lost 100 pounds. She was not an athlete and did not participate in anything. Started riding on the pump track. Not only did she lose the weight, but she's now a young adult. She became like, I think she got first one year and she got fourth this year in the pump track worlds. She got to travel the world through this, through racing. She's on a professional, she's a pro rider, has a pro label. I mean, who the heck gets that opportunity without, you know, you gotta, you gotta lay the groundwork. And, and, and then that led into all these other things. Like I, I didn't do this, right? Like I just helped get the pump track people built off of it. And before I knew it, we had college universities sitting there with tents with their full college team with scholarship programs for these same kids who now have the chance to travel the world for the first time in their lives, besides the health aspects of all of what this is bringing to them. And then we had, um, there's a company called Hyper Bike Company, and we had the Boys and Girls Club. And thanks to St. Charles and these two entities, they came together and they donated a fleet of bicycles to all these kids who didn't have access. And we had the local hospital there who was giving them all the helmets. And so these dots get connected, but you got to give them that platform to stand on. And that cycling thing is that thing. And so we were able to change the region for the first time we had Red Bull level events and first time we had a BME, a national level enduro event. And there's definitely more, there's room for more. And it never occurred in our state that I'm aware of ever otherwise. And so again, we got to give them that framework and that's what it led to. And that's, I love that these people in all these states are doing that. And and I don't, and again, I don't want to discount there. There's no way I would be in the position I'm at without like Gary Vernon in Arkansas. He came up and gave us advice and I raced with him and his son. And I, I would have marginal knowledge if I wasn't standing next to him all the time and just listening. I got to stand in front of all these builders. I got to watch most of Arkansas get built in real time. I was, I was present, you know, getting yelled at, get off our clothes trail, you know, all that stuff. But I built relationships with people and got to understand how they build. And that led me to rent machines and play in my own yard so I could understand what they're going through. And now I own my own excavator, but not for building purposes other than yard care and my own personal trails. So it's to understand where they're coming from and be able to speak intelligently on it, at least or from some point of experience. But we have all these people that came before us that built these things and we're just catapulting off of it, right? Like Gork gave me a name that I didn't build. They built the name. And they showed such unification in their community and such care and kindness to to, to do what they're doing. And I was able to stand on their shoulders and just, I did something they couldn't see, right? So like a bunch of them, one of the comments that that stuck with me when when we were at the first meeting we had after the unofficial, hey, can we start with gravity? They're like, no one's ever going to give you any money. That's what they said. And they, they did it laughingly, but they were also true. Because the approach they've taken to that point would be to beg from the bottom up, right? That's how they go through it. And so they just do it instead out of their own labor, which is tremendous. Um, I was like, I'm never going to ask for money. And they're like, what? They didn't even know it. And I just left. I stopped talking at that point. And that's the end of the conversation. What I meant was, is that I will show communities how to spend their own money on themselves the best way possible with the best return possible. I don't ever have to touch the money, right? And I get people paid, but I don't personally have to funnel the funds through me and back out again. And that that changes things too. And that creates a different level of trust. But anyways, I digress. 
Well, let's digress out of Missouri into sure. why you went oh, yeah. to Griffin Bike Park and in uh, that whole process to kind of to kind of let you know let the listeners know about that whole yeah. thing. Sure, sure. Uh, it elicits a little emotion for me. So I, I have a connection. Their son Dale uh, passed away overseas uh, in 2009, and he was a mountain biker. His family was mountain biker, casual mountain bikers, but but very but passionate, love the sport. And his parents and brothers and sister, and there's a gentleman named Rich. They they founded that park in his honor um, for his sacrifice. And coincidentally, I was I was there. I, I didn't I wasn't present when it happened. I was a province over from where he was when he gave his life. And so there's a significant connection there um, that I wasn't fully aware of actually. And when the article came out recently in that business alert with Skyler, um, they discovered it, right? I knew that would happen. I didn't know that that it would be Griffin, but I knew that people would discover it. So I have like nine cities right now asking for help simultaneously and I can only go so far. And so I have all these, I have endless emails, some that I've not fulfilled or answered and all that. And this one stuck out. I got, I got reached out to from Griffin and I was like, Oh, I know that place. You know, it's uh, outside of the edge of St. Louis, about two and a half hours. It's in Indiana and Terre Haute, but, but it's at the border of Illinois. So like it's, it's kind of close to St. Louis, right? As much as the other side of our state is close to St. Louis. And because of the veterans connection and, and why they did what they did, I made the exception and I broke my own boundaries, which was one I, just because I'm only a person, right? So I have my own personal limits. I wasn't growing across the state was a lot for me, right? But I wanted to go there and um, I, I hope in no way I ever let them down because they treat me like I was uh, some sort of magic sauce for them to to fix things up because they're, they're doing amazing, but they get 50,000 visitors a, week, a year. They have this sort of unusual, but really cool it's almost like old school cross country. It's not flow trail, but it has flow in it, if that makes any sense. And then they have these wood tech features. Jeff Lenowski went out there and, and built a line. Um, there's, it's cool. I don't know how it's, it's unique and they should not use, lose that character. Their sons are building. Um, some of their friends are building as actual paid builders. Um, and then they actually established Rich. Uh, he made a sacrifice and took a little cut in in exchange from his regular job to go run that park actually, instead of just being a volunteer. So he's a full-timer there. Uh, They have a guy named Adam who is uh, the oversee, he oversees all of the, it's Vigo County is the name of their area. And he oversees the Vigo County parks and he's passionate about all this too and highly involved. And they said, Hey, can you come out and look at it? And I was like, all right, I'll come take a look, but I need info. They want me to do a presentation right away. I was like, no, 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 I have to build a picture. I need to know what I can do for you. And I don't know that until I analyze everything. And lo and behold, there was actually an avenue where I could help with, even though they're well-established and well on their way, uh, they've already achieved success for lack of better terms. But um, I looked at their, their nearby, Terre Haute is technically you know, in the city versus the county. I looked at population densities, uh, distance of things, where the park's located. Uh, they have Fowler Park, which is this beautiful campground with all kinds of neat history and lake and all this stuff. Um, but anyways, I, they kind of dropped me into the fire a little bit and that I all of a sudden have meetings with like pretty big business owners, actually, like national level business owners and having meetings with uh, council members that uh, you don't waste their time. That's a rule. You get right to the point. 
And before I knew it, we all found that there was room for improvement. So like I did little things for them. I helped them see some basic algorithmic things with their social media, right? So like, I, I just give this as an example, maybe somebody can take this with their community. They do a really good job of constantly communicating open and closed and conditions of their trails. A lot of places don't do that well at it. They do a really good job, but they do such a good job that they actually hurt themselves and they didn't see it. So algorithmically, they're, they're, they're putting words up inside of a photo, okay? So the algorithm hates that, especially Facebook, right? It kills it unless, it, unless it's an unusual thing that goes viral. If you keep doing that same thing, slowly, you're going to lose your audience. And eventually, the only people that will see it are people that intentionally go to the page to look for it. It will no longer drop it in because people aren't liking it. People aren't spending times on it because it's so redundant. I was like, hey, do one simple thing. You got to get your word out there. Either create a separate channel for that purpose or two, add in photos, different photos, action photos, new trail photos, uh, kids riding, older people riding, uh, somebody jumping, somebody doing something casual, the cool campsite that's next door change it up constantly and they already like they took it they took my little my thought and made it real and they're already doing it and i was like well, all right cool and that's just a little thing right we looked at uh bigger stuff uh one of the things that i broke them out of their box was i think and maybe they had ideas and i just don't know about it but i think they were kind of stuck in and that griffin bike park was contained in griffin bike park i was like no 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 griffin's a brand they're like what i'm like yeah no griffin's a brand You've branded it. Everybody knows what the symbol is. They know the name. Anybody who is in that region knows who you are. I was like, now take that brand and expand out of the park. I was like, this town is large enough, right? I think I forget. I've studied something. I think they had 80,000 people off the top of my head. Um, and in particular, this is important. And this is, this is getting the nitty gritty. But they voted and capped their property tax. They cannot increase their property tax. So the only way they increase their tax revenue at that point related to property tax is to have more owners, right? More property, more expansion. Uh, all this stuff has to happen, right? More houses built, more whatever. And so that you can run with that. I'm like, oh, well, you make 50,000 people a year come here. Let's make 100,000 a year come here. How do we do that? How do we get you new residents? How do we increase quality of life? The town layout, they have a university. They've got all this stuff going on. There's a lot of activity. Um, Let's make satellite parks presented by Griffin. Let's do a kids area, right? In some of these corner parks that are near neighborhoods. Let's 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 do some greenways. Let's connect. Can we can we get a pump track in somewhere? Can we can we get a jump park in somewhere? Can we get uh, some cross country stuff in somewhere that connects town to other elements? I was like, what properties are available that the city hates? What 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 you know? We start analyzing and looking at this, and before we know it, we're building the entire city. Over, we're looking at it as a city-wide thing presented by Griffin, built by Griffin. The name's still there and everything else, but their park just, you know, be, instead of the 300 acres that it is, it, it became, you know, I don't know what it is over there, 10, 20,000 acres. I have no idea. I've got, I got to measure it, but it's a big area. And that now, now that's their park, right? And so just some little outside perspective, right? Just some small bits of information can change everything for a community. And they have a big light at the end of the tunnel. Like there is a lot more that can be done. We're, we're looking at stuff to help a couple of their little elements. I don't want to get too much uh, out of the bag, but how about, how about this? I can, I can say this because uh, I don't want to disclose things and without, without them blessing off. We're looking at a way to allow people to visit there all year long. 
if you can think of weatherproof things, we're looking at that as a possibility. Can you imagine if 365 days a year, you confirmed that you had a place to ride regardless of trail conditions? So again, thinking outside of the box a little bit, right? And uh, they've done an unbelievable job. Like a lot of places have trouble with funding and stuff. And this, this falls back on, again, a little bit on that veteran side. Their son is sadly very famous for giving his life. He's the first time a president has been allowed to be present when they're removed from the plane, you know, the picture with the American flags. President Obama saluted his coffin. That's the first time, I think, since the 70s that was permitted or earlier. There was, there was a lot of regulation, like it couldn't be on camera. They couldn't be in public view. There's a lot of regulation for that. This family made the request to change it with, with permission. They gave permission for full media coverage. And that catapulted, their son's sacrifice catapulted everybody wanting to back them. And that's where this part came from. Their, their passion, their vision, their son's sacrifice. And then they took it one step further. They have a trail called Heroes Way, if I remember, Heroes Trail and Heroes Way, maybe. It's emotional for me to see, and it, it brings things very real. There is a very high quality sign photo every 10 feet on either side of this trail. And it is a person who gave their life in service in Indiana. And it's hundreds and hundreds of feet long. I mean, it is unbelievable to see. They are celebrating the lives of these heroes uh, and in such a way I've never seen before. And then I, I was like, wow, this is unbelievable. I thought this is amazing. They're like, yeah, wait till you see the next trail. I was like, wait, what? And, and all of a sudden there's just more and more of it. And these people and, and, and the beautification, the, the signage, just, just the, the manicuring of this place. It, it is every bit of honoring the memory of these people. And that, is 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 a platform that hopefully no one else has to stand on, but it is a platform that has allowed their governors and 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 lieutenant governors and senators and all these people to take note. And again, that is why they've been able to financially move ahead compared to other areas. I've seen their donation list; it's pretty amazing. And uh, they still need help; they still need constant help, just like anybody else. But they've done very very well. So, and they have a very bright future. They they're gonna they're gonna reface Indiana if we have anything to say about it. Brown County is awesome. Brown County, if you're familiar, has all these cross-country trails. They put a whole bunch of new stuff in, but because of the type of park it is, there's restrictions. So inside of Vigo County, that park allows for more of this modern style trail design. It allows for things that you can't find everywhere else. And so for lack of better terms, that can be the mountain biking hub of Indiana, potentially, because there really isn't one defined yet per se. And Terre Haute, has that potential to be that place actually even with low elevation like as arkansas has proven over and over again you can manufacture that fund you just gotta have the right builder oh you can totally anyway. manufacture that fund uh, that fund yeah bentonville has proven many 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 things to people that would have otherwise thought differently about what you can do in communities sure from the elevation yeah. to utilizing the smallest parcels of property yeah you know, yeah, to just absolutely. maximize that use. I don't even know how to follow that one up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a doozy, right? Like uh, that family. So, so I guess there's more to tell of it. It's pretty amazing to me. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to make a short reel about, you know, reel as an Instagram reel. So here's something I didn't add in. 
Seth of Backyard Trail Builds. You heard of him? Yep. YouTuber, makes yep. all the wood stuff, doesn't wear shoes all the time. Hippie. Uh, good friend of mine, real good friend. We we helped carry each other. So he's another one of those people that's integral in my tight circle. His artistic ability, his his side of things, but he, he couldn't get out, he literally couldn't get out of his backyard, right? Like he was kind of in that. And so I, I could see beyond that part, right? He had an inclination, but he couldn't quite connect the dots. And so like making sure he has insurance, making sure he has the right business structure, all that stuff, right? And and he runs his own business. He has other stuff that he does. So it was just like, just had to connect the dots a little more for him. And before he knew it, I'm like, hey, come out here and do 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 X, right? Do, do Y, do, do Z, and this stuff will happen. And I aimed him a little bit, and then he just carried it with his talent, right? And Ironton was a perfect example. So Ironton, you can build this cool trail and you can have the town and all the, all the stars are aligned. Everything's right. Correct. But you're, when you're missing an element, how, how do you market it? You bring in the person that lives it. You don't just hire a marketing company. You bring in that person. And so he got 1.5 million views for Ironton. He put Ironton on the national, there's 30 countries, 1.5 million views. And we cite it. We we track everybody that we that allows us to like that comes in and says, "Hey, where are you from? What's your zip code?" That kind of stuff. And just so we can understand what our reach is, so we can make it better. And uh, we had people flying from Alaska just because they saw his video. And so, backing up onto Griffin again, I asked him for help because I'm not a video person. Like that's not my thing, right? Like I can do it and I can have some success, but it's just to prove a point usually or to make a video to help some community or whatever else. And I was riding around with the Griffins. I was like, this is unusual. I was like, this is weird. And their sons didn't notice. Like nobody seemed to notice. I'm like, how old are you? And Mr. Griffin's like, I'm about to turn 74. I was like, seriously? And then, and Mrs. Griffin shows up the next day and she's fully armored up. I was like, oh, she just armored up because she uh, fell down in the parking lot. Uh Uh-uh. She rode all the freaking trails. She's 70. They were tearing it up. I was like, has anybody told this story yet? They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, has anybody photo? She's like, nobody photos me. I'm like, why not? You're in your 70s. You're building bike parks and you're riding them. I was like, your wheels are off the ground. You're riding wooden skinnies over lakes. What the heck? And so I filmed these people. I'm so excited about it. And I'm sitting on all this data. I'm sitting on a little mini gold mine. I'm like, people have to know how awesome this, this, this family is. I was just like, this is amazing. And, and Rich, Rich, uh, he builds all this stuff out. Like he runs the park and stuff, you know, and the sun's built too. And everybody's kind of, it's like a team effort, but he's a bit of an older guy too. And I don't want to phrase him too old. I hope he, hope, hope he give me a punch in the gut, but uh, he's an older guy. He just had a heart attack actually. And they say he's bike riding saved his life, that he was able to survive the heart attack because of the strength he's built. He races enduro. Got a big old white beard. You'll find him in Arkansas pointing downhill. He was showing me around the place, not to show me around. He was leading the way and jumping it for me to follow him. I was like, all right, cool. So again, that's another selling point for all these communities. They have strider kids. They have kids like two years old, three years old, four years old, riding there next to people who are in their mid seventies. I'm like, dude, this is for everybody. This is, this is absolutely for every community. And so I was like, we got to tell that story. And so I, they, they have a metal, they have different things over water, but they have a metal skinny. That's crazy. That, that, that is floating actually versus the wooden one is fixed into the lake. 
Um, it's a, basically a skinny bridge. This is a floating platform. And I don't know if you've seen the video, but I'm in, did you see Seth's skinny video where I get walloped a whole bunch? He made a float. You got to go watch it. It's hilarious. You get to see me. I've seen a floating bridge video recently and I don't, but I don't recall where it was from. Yeah. yeah. Go to backyard trail builds. Tell your viewers to go back to backyard trail builds. Uh, you'll, you'll get to see me just get smoked over and over again. Uh, it, it, it's pretty hilarious. And so Seth built his to be a challenge. It's on top of the water, right? Versus theirs is in the water for stability purposes. So there's designed to be stable. It's, it's not designed to make you fail, but it's designed to give you the thrill of crossing a lake that you, people do fail on it. It's a regular thing. It moves. And, um, I did something silly. Um, I took my pole e-bike across it. I was waiting for like, how does this work with e-bikes? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm well aware of the cost to benefit ratio of that one, but I was like, this is just too silly, asinine, whatever you want to call it, like crazy to, I, I've got to, I, I got to do it. And I'm a, I'm a skinny guy for some reason. Like I'm a huge person, physically large, but I love skinnies. I love riding skinnies um, and any technical slow motion stuff that seems to be balance is my niche for some reason. Um, and so I was like, I, I got, I just winged it. I just went across. And then I heard movement behind me. I was like, wait, what? This thing's long. Like it's across a lake. It's 80 feet deep. You will get wet. Um, and I turn around and Mr. Griffin's behind me riding along like it's nothing. 74 years old riding his bike across a freaking lake skinny. And I was like, it doesn't get better than this. I was like, there's no way. And then Rich comes along and they're both up there. I'm like, okay, I guess this is in their realm of things. And I was like, okay, guys, it was a cool risk. Let, let's go back. And there's this trail that meanders off and I, I scurry along and I'm on this trail and I, and I realize no one's behind me. And when I said, let's go back, they all answered yes, but nobody moved. I just like, oh, cool. They were screwing around with something and they're going to get ready. No, I glanced through the wood line. They're both on the skinny again, going back across the freaking lake. I was like, what the heck? These dudes think it's nothing. And old dudes just, I'm like, I know tons of people that would never touch a true skinny on a floating skinny on a lake, let alone again, we're, we're in October. We're, we're sitting here with, it was, it was, you know, short sleeve, long sleeve weather, but it's the water would be pretty freaking cold. And and they thought it was nothing. They just rode right across. I'm like, dude, everybody needs to know how awesome you guys are. You're not just building parks, but you're riding them. And so, anyways, it was just, it was really motivating to see, truly. So that's awesome. And again, I'm like, you're you're leaving me at a, a loss of questions and words because it's it is so incredible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess with that, how do you want to? How do we tie all this together? Like, what do you? What kind of words of wisdom do you want to leave this? Leave the listeners with on this one? Because we've covered a lot. We could probably right. do I'll, multiple I'll podcasts. To be honest. Sure, sure. I, I bet that's true. <laughs> Sorry if I talk too much there. I just uh, I get excited. That's it's the fun. point. That's why we're here. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Um, so Steve reminded me of this, and I think. I have a bunch of little tidbits that I wrote down and I was like, you know, there's anecdotes and uh, little sayings that I have that I kind of live by for all this. And I need to condense them and get them all in one place. But, but one of them was really important. Historically speaking, a lot of these clubs in general and a lot of people who are motivated to build, especially jumps or anything outside of 
the typical, you know, multi-use trails, they want to build stuff for themselves. And everybody has their motivating reason and they should run with that motivation, whatever it is, to support their business, to to do something for the community because they want it. Whatever the reason is, good to go. But remember who you're talking to and that this is a public space. So the different approach I have is something to the effect of let us help you build your trails for yourself, for your community, whatever fits your community. Let's figure out what that is and what that vision looks like that best fits your space for your community. And this is how we make it fun. And that is very different than showing up and saying, I want to build cool trails for myself and my friends to go ride. The approach really changes the conversation. Yeah, I think that's the biggest one. Uh, besides, I guess the other parallel to that is learn who your community leadership is and what their dreams are and figure out how to make this their dream because it, it is there. They just don't quite have a clear picture yet. They don't know how to implement this thing they want for, you know, the kids to go play on for the families to enjoy. You can solve all of that. Um, and one last one, I guess, is swimming pools, right? Every community wants a swimming pool. Every community wants this thing. That, and actually, not in every case, but in a lot of cases, it also ends up being the least utilized item. It still can be heavily used, but statistically speaking, it becomes underutilized compared to other park options. All right. But here's the best part. They're like, they always compare cost and liability. I'm like, oh, we have a pool, right? And they're like, yeah. I go, it shuts down the conversation right there. They're like, what? I'm like, all right. With the exception of maybe uh, some of these lake crossings. Normally, in all trails, you're not gonna, you're not gonna drown. There's no risk of drowning. Your insurance level is a fraction of what it would be otherwise. So liability is is a minuscule portion compared to what you're dealing with with a swimming pool. So that there's that argument. And then the next one is cost, right? Generally today, you're looking at a minimum for a public pool, even if it's just like a lap pool, what three, four million dollars at least, several million minimum, right? So you're looking at three, four million minimum generally, you know, two, three, four million. Um, and then every year, especially if you update it to like water park class, right, where you have those extra slides or that lazy river or these other elements, you can quickly get into, you can jump from seven digits to eight digits really quickly. And you can look at, you know, every few years, a $3 million or more maintenance repair cost. Like it gets great. You have to have all the lifeguards. You have to have all the staff. It turns into this thing. I'm like, oh, you're worried about the maintenance on a bike trail and you have this. Yeah, we'll, we got you. We'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. We'll figure this out. And and then then, that, then the conversation goes from there. So again, you can shut them down pretty quickly. Those are the most common arguments that I run into. And that's how I shut them down. Yeah, the pool part, man. On a personal level, because of the community I live in, the pool part drives yeah. me absolutely nuts. <laughs> the, the amount of money that was spent on a pool more recently in where I live and people that were elected to become city council members to get that pool put in. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as the pool was put in, like mysteriously, like, Oh, I'm not going to read. I'm not going to run again. Huh? That was a pretty selfish endeavor, right? Yeah. 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 I, I hope they find benefit in it. Uh, it's uh, the only, like I said, Use, use the bad news that comes with that to build the good news for what you can offer and, and spin it. And I have kids and my kids love going to the pool, but you know what they, they, this, they literally asked me this last week and they asked me this 
every year without fail. Yeah. When's the pool going to open again or why isn't it open? <laughs> and it's wow. like, well, and yeah. where we live in Wisconsin, it the pool opening and closing is dictated usually you think by the weather, but it's and I'm sure that's like this in a lot of communities actually. It's dictated by the school year. It sure. opens after the school year, after the kids are out of school for the summer. And I don't know why they do this, but it always closes two weeks before school starts. So that thing is open for two and a half months out of the year. You know, I didn't really pay attention, but I know ours are very, they're very similar schedules. That's pretty funny, actually. Yeah. Huh. That's a, that's you a pay good attention note. to that when you have a six-year-old daughter and a nine-year-old daughter. Because <laughs> I didn't pay attention <laughs> before that either. Sure, sure, sure. And we actually went to the pool this summer more frequently than any other year. You know, as a, yeah. the three of us as a family and, and then you brought up, you had to, you had to hit maintenance. Yeah. Cause like I, yeah. I talk maintenance a lot because that's something that yeah. a lot of people, you know, miss the boat on. And I'm going to say in life, I'm not even going to say in trails sure. because I've worked in highway maintenance for Wisconsin department of transportation for years. And yeah. it's the same thing there. Yeah. Like everybody wants to fund the new stuff. Nobody wants to fund fixing the old stuff, but it is what it is. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this back to the fact that you brought, you threw out a very high dollar value, which is very reasonable, really, for what it costs to maintain a pool. That's, it's pretty, pretty close to accurate for our numbers out here. And relative to consistent. trail maintenance, which needs to happen. And that is yeah. something as simple as just weed whacking. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and it's funny because in some of our areas, we have it down really well. In other areas, we're struggling. And it all depends on the community and the trails and the terrain and, and the conditions. One park in particular has gotten tons of my attention. And we're not going to quit until it's all right. But again, because of erosion and, and, and maintenance. And we're redefining what that looks like even now. Like, So this is something else that Steve wanted me to mention. And I we were, we were almost were going to suggest opening with this. and then lead into history but i i go through phases and it's sort of my own, it's self-inflicted right i i let myself out there again so then i get all the attention i had phone calls text messages emails from mayors aldermen bike leadership people parks departments what have you from uh dawn until about 10 30 11 30 at night that that can be an entire day for me. It doesn't stop. There is absolutely a business model in what I'm doing that if somebody smarter than me could take and turn into a profitable thing for consulting, for development of these communities, um, it could be a bigger thing than it is. Um, it needs to scale. But that is part of this maintenance thing. That is part of this, this whole picture, right? I, I call it future-proofing. Again, that's one of my little if you look at all my terms and all my elements that I do, future proofing is one of those pieces. And that includes the care for the space, right? That's why I won't take on a space unless I know there's a steward going to be there or the equivalent of somebody that loves it, has that vision, wants to be a part of it, that isn't a park employee, that isn't a council member, that's somebody in the community. I have to have that person in there because they're going to connect to the volunteers. And then when the situation lends itself both financially and structurally like it needs it, we try to implement care programs from actual trail builders, like professional paid trail building companies, whether that's consistent care as needed care or once a year care, whatever it looks like, we structure it based on the needs. The idea is to never leave them hanging, right? And if, and if they are hanging, you don't quit until it's fixed. You don't leave them. 
And it, there's a solution. There always is. You just got to find it. And even when there's not money. So. That's a good way to close this one out. Yeah. Cool. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for letting me blab. I enjoyed sharing this. I, I hope it helps somebody. I do. I hope it leads to benefit somewhere. I am 100% certain it, w- it will. I get the yeah. messages from people on, you know, so-and-so said, said this in this episode or so-and-so said that in that episode. And this episode that we just are finishing the recording of has a ton of those nuggets, you cool. know, that you could piece together from a lot of different episodes. So I really appreciate the fact that, you know, A, that you're doing what you're doing and B, that you're willing to share that knowledge, you know, so openly, you know, so you can, you know, cause none of us are here forever. We always have to have, we have to create redundancy within the, within yeah. ourselves. So we, so what we're working on can continue on when we're gone Absolutely. because we're not going to be here forever, you yep. know, and it, it's just yep. so important. So I think we ended on a structural note, but I got a, I got a challenge for your listeners. I want to see if I can stick it out there. Cause I can't find anybody doing it. I was alluding to it earlier in the conversation. So, you know, there's Coolio's client, the city named after that moniker name. Right. And so we're very kind to them as a thank you. Uh, it's 2.3 miles long. The average is around 30 minutes to 45 minutes to get up it. A lot of people do it in about an hour. I'm holding the record right now at 13 minutes and 16 seconds on e-bike because, you know, I have to with my lungs. 13 minutes, 16 seconds. Anybody out there want to beat that climb? It's a 600, 600 foot of gain. Super tough stuff. I don't know that it would fit into your podcast, but I thought I'd throw it out there. Yeah. Well. Challenge to the world. That's just another reason to go to Shepherd Mountain and visit Ironton. Yeah. Aside Absolutely. from the BME and everything else. I want to come there just for skill development because it's something I've been working on more personally is... Yeah. I've unearthed the fact that it, that for me to sit on a bike for super long periods of time became something that isn't very difficult. Fortunately, like I have the mental capacity to ride for a really long time, but one thing that is that I had that I need to work on is skill development. And that's why I've transitioned out of endurance to what we refer to as enduro because it's an, it's my new challenge. That's cool. Congratulations. That's, that's that's a really big deal. That's, that's cool for self-improvement. I, uh, I didn't tell you, but uh, COVID took me out and I have a bunch of ailments from my previous job. So it, it, it like flared everything. This is before vaccines and stuff. And then coincidentally, I broke my leg exactly at that time. I broke uh, tibia and tore some stuff in my ankle and a bunch of other bone chips and what have you. And so I was just kind of down and out. And then we had you know lockdown at that same moment. I'm like, oh, man. And uh, my brother moved in and self-inflicted. I absolutely ate exactly what you thought I would eat sitting on the couch with a broken leg and not being able to do a lot. And, uh, I was like, man, uh, so I gained a bunch of weight and got to my heaviest, but today I'm in a, in a similar goal, right? Yours is, yours is handling, getting more riding in that style. Mine was really just to get back to riding in general. Um, I'm, I just hit this morning. I broke through finally 40.6 pounds of weight loss. So I'm pretty happy. Um, getting, I'm, I'm an acceptable weight, right? So that was a big piece to help me ride better and help my lungs and everything. So I respect that you're, what you're doing, that, that it's cool. It's self-improvement. So can we point out, cause I know like before we end this, I want to point this out to everybody who hates on e-bikes <laughs> and there's a lot of them out there. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. But that tide is changing and it's changing for good reason. And, and you're, you yeah. know, you're a living example of one of those reasons. But for everyone that thinks e-bikes 
are for people that are, because I've heard it, people that are lazy will say, it's totally not the case. And Dave here is a prime oh, example yeah. of that. And I'm glad that you were able to sh- be vulnerable and share what the yeah. e-bike has allowed you to do and that it actually has benefited you in multiple, multiple ways. Oh, yeah. Trem- tremendously. It, so I'll get a little more open. And I haven't disclosed this before, and you can choose to leave it or not. It's up to you. But I had a difficult past with military, right? A lot of mental health challenges. And cycling was my outlet. And it was basically taken from me. And I didn't know what my future would look like. And e-bike saved it, truthfully. And changed everything for me. And uh, it allowed me to be here to help people now. I don't know if I'd be in the cycling community without it. Like, I might have just moved on to whatever other part of life. And it changed everything for me. We, we've got a, a guy now. We're doing adaptive trails. That's another part we didn't really discuss. That can go into a whole other world. But we've got guys on adaptive bikes. We've got uh, a guy that's missing a leg. We've got a guy that has MS. We've got you name it. And e-bikes changed their lives. I mean, Miss Griffin. Miss Griffin's on an e-bike. She's out there with that e-bike. Like it, she's 70 plus years old, tearing it up. Healthy as can be otherwise. And I'm just like. She, I don't know that she'd be out there without the e-bike. Honestly, I'm not sure if she would. And and here we are. So yeah, there there is absolutely a place for them. I am cognizant of the challenges without question. It's a regular topic, but yeah, they they are definitely a good part of the future w- when they find the right balance. So yeah, and that's I mean that's exactly why I've had and I, and I will be actively seeking out more. But that's exactly why I've had four adaptive athletes on the podcast so far. Yeah. And, and they're all incredible, but the, what Joe Stone was my most recent podcast mm-hmm. adaptive athlete and what he's doing in the, in the, in the model that he's pushing with the universal trail design out of Jackson hole, but he's, he's trying to push it worldwide is super incredible. And his story is, is such a great story, you know, and I'm gonna have to see, I'm gonna have to listen to it. I did not hear that one. So yeah, Joe Stone is his story is, his story is, is pretty incredible. and. You know, as a you, as you as you'll learn, and other listeners that haven't listened to the Joe Stone podcast, like when I hung up or hung up, it's like we're back in 1996, right? <laughs> when I got after off the dial after the dial tone, yeah. When I got <laughs> off of the of the Zoom call with him, like yeah. I was so in, like so inspired, and the fact that he talked about universal trail design. And adaptive athletes, the way he the way he talks about it, which isn't dumbing down trails at all, and the way mm-hmm. he talks about especially gravity, um, downhill racing as an adaptive athlete and adaptive series, is, it, it it inspires you. That's cool. That's really. I'm excited to hear it. Like seriously excited. Yeah. So wow, that's that's a big piece of this push. In fact, actually. Um, to give people a number, we didn't really say a number, but I've got about 6 million completed and, and the, there's still phases ahead of it, but they're actually like functioning parks. Um, I've got probably another 4 million on the ground right now, million allocated, approved, and about 3 million floating uh, various parks across all these regions and, and builds. And uh, every bit of it always has to include adaptive. It, yeah. it has to be, it just, it's got to be in there. Um, so I'll, I'll drop a cat out of the bag for you. You want, you want to, you want to winger? This is, we can tell the state. You want to be the first to tell the state? Sure. I got a big one. You can, you can delete it if you want, but uh, I thought this would be pretty cool. Uh, we built the largest pump track in the nation, right? 
that was obviously intentional, right? And it was to jab our neighbors a little bit, but in a in a fun way, right? They're the mountain biking capital of the world. Well, here, well, how about this? I'm gonna throw another rock into their into their bag there. Uh, we're gonna build, for lack of better terms, we're gonna build the largest rail yard in the nation. That's the goal right now. So you know, the jump park with pavement meets asphalt meets wood lipped features. We're gonna and we're gonna do adaptive lines in it. And I want it to be the biggest in the nation. And we're going to put it in our, uh, one of our major corridors that's being developed right now. Highway is a big piece of why we're putting it where we're putting it. But that's that's the one of the major things on my list right now that uh, has got a lot of my attention. So I'm getting all the pieces lined up for it. Well, the day I met Steve Friedman was the first day I ever went to the rail yard to ride that paved experience. Nice. And it was also the first day that I got to witness Jeremy P. McGee as an adaptive athlete riding the rail yard. Oh yeah. So yeah. there's some He's parallels else, there. Oh yeah. 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 Or is it, is he out West right now? I kind of forget where he is. I think like he might he be out West. He travels quite a bit. He's, yeah. you know, he's got yeah. a, he's got a second home in in Bentonville, but I think he'll never take the California out of him or him out of California because that's sure. You know, sure. that's where his surfing is where it's at for him, you know? And, yeah. Being in the ocean and whatnot. So he doesn't, he doesn't personally know me. I just know who he is through all, I've talked to him, you know, stuff like that, but I'm sure in, in passing, uh, I don't know that he would recognize me, but I, I do know who he is very well in that sense. Cause of what he's done. So, yeah. Well, Dave Coolio. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Thanks. Again, I appreciate all this. I, I appreciate what you're doing. I'm sure everyone appreciates what you're doing in terms of both Missouri and now Indiana as well. And beyond that, this, what the knowledge you've shared here will literally is something that there's pieces here that can be used worldwide, you know? And so cool. I, I really appreciate that. So. Uh, I'm, I'm glad. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a doom myself by saying it, but uh, is it appropriate? I'll throw, throw out uh, our channel there. Gork gravity. It's a little forum. Um, we actually have Gork trails and gorkgravity.com, but. There's a Gork Gravity Forum. There's only like a, a, a thousand, two thousand people in there. It's just a lot of our local residents. But I, I'm going to start actively putting more tidbits in there than I do. It's sort of just a conversation piece. And it went dead for a little while. Um, I had eye trouble and stuff with my head injury, so I didn't post much. But I think that's a good place to put a lot of these little elements. So if people want to see it, that, that could be a place for them to go check things out. For sure. And I'll get that link from you. We'll put it in the show notes for this podcast and that link will be available for everybody to see who listened to this podcast. And, and don't get me wrong. My social media presence, 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 presence needs to improve greatly. It, it, uh, it's definitely lackluster. So uh, that way it helps other people, right? That's the idea of it. So we're also on Instagram, stuff like that. And I just do little things, but it helps. So, yeah. Well, I'm going to hit stop on the record here. Do it up. Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed in the show can be found in the show notes. If you like what you have heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you are new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Please don't forget to leave a rating and review as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Effect podcast. I'd also like to thank all of the listeners who have signed up to be supporters of Trail Effect through Patreon. These actions mean a lot to me. With that, the value for value concept is something that has caught my attention. If you find value in the Trail Effect podcast, you now have a way to provide value for that value via Patreon for Trail Effect. 
This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. If you have ideas on future communities or people that feature in Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.